Good morning. It's so uh, great to see you. If you're visiting with us, just let me introduce myself. My name is Douglas. I'm one of the pastors here. It is a great joy uh, to be uh, opening God's word uh, with you as we uh, gather together here as a church, as you join this gathering of uh, Ras Al-Khaimah Evangelical Church. You are so uh, welcome. Uh, as David said early on, we are so pleased you are here. A few months ago, uh, we began the book of Joshua. We've looked at other books uh, since uh, with just each of the pastors here or visiting uh, guys taking up different texts from different books. But this morning, we're going to continue and pick up where we were at in Joshua uh, as we look at the sin and the son and the sovereignty of God that is seen in chapters 7 to 12. And now I lived in America for a few years uh, before landing in Ras Al-Khaimah, and one day a friend invited me to the basement of the family they lived with. Being down there was just a little bit like reading these six chapters in Joshua today. I slowly descended the stairs and immediately there were small skulls and animal parts on the walls. Smaller animals that had been caught and were being displayed as, as we descended the stairs. As we got further down there, I turned left into the first room and was met by three walls, a little bit like here, three walls on all sides. And just this large alcove covered in various small to medium uh, to large size uh, animal heads mounted on the walls. I'm talking deers, turkeys, uh, some even bigger, some animals I didn't fully recognize. But these conquests and the brutality was everywhere. They were all memories. They each carried a story, a tall tale of what happened and how this man had got from this place or had gone on that adventure, the death and the destruction of it, but also the awe, the wonder, and just the silence that remained. It was a really a strange position to be in as I stood there. I was both shocked and amazed. I was somewhat torn. Part of me hated it, and part of me loved seeing all that he had done and achieved and how it was all displayed and presented. These were various kinds of trophies. Look at what had happened. Look what had happened and see the result for yourself. It was on display. It was recorded. These things happened. There was no avoiding it. What is different here in our passage is that it's not a victory of Joshua or the Israelites. This morning, we will see, hopefully you will see, what God is doing and how it is He that is bringing down each king and each kingdom, bringing them back to himself and using them for his glory, protecting his people, forgiving his people, all of this for his glory. And friends, all this here displayed this morning for his glory too. There's a lot of text for us to get through, so we're not going to read it, but we're just going to parachute down into various specific Moments And as we walk through these six chapters, I think the main point uh, for our time together and the main point of this text 
these six chapters is God's victory is sure no matter who is on the throne. So trust him and his word. God's victory is sure no matter who is on the throne. So trust him and his word. With this in mind, I think our chapters do break down into just two sections, one significantly larger than the other. And so we have two different points and they really relate to the two options we all have. Two options each of you have every day in your lives. That is point number one, do what you want. Do what you want. Or point number two, do what God says. You can either choose to do what you want Point number one, or point two, do what God says. As we continue to work through Joshua and we come to somewhat troubling chapters that are full of death and destruction, without fully understanding what God is doing and why, these just seem, I think, like strange and brutal deaths of many people and many cities. But really, what we're about to look at is an amazing example of God's perfect grace and his perfect judgment, both being poured out and unfolding before us, hopefully as you read, as you might have read this week. The Israelites, we see, they've been given the law of God, led by Moses and now Joshua, with very, very specific instructions about God's expectations, how he alone, he in his power and in his might, is with them and will deliver these lands as he promised into their hands but they must honor him they must do as he says friends at the outset we must remember that we're called each of us if you're a christian here this morning you are called to do the same god is not absent in our world and in our lives he has given us his word he's called us to live in a particular way for our good and for his glory so we jump into point one do what you want do what you want this next stage comes right after the amazing fall of Jericho that we looked at a few weeks ago this simple victory was completed with the ark of the covenant going ahead of the people and God's presence clearly brought the victory the guys didn't even have to fight They just obeyed God and walked through the city. Within the Jericho story were also very simple instructions for the people of Israel. The people of Israel, and this is the group of people, the very center of the Old Testament story. Maybe you're new to the Bible. But they are, the people of Israel are God's chosen people. They are the people who he chose to bless the world through. And will then add people, as you see this morning, from every tribe and tongue and color. All through, beautifully, the power of Jesus Christ. So, he gives his people very specific instructions. If you look back at Joshua 6, 18 to 19. The city will fall. Jericho will fall, and we saw that it did, but all the spoils of war, the silver and the gold and whatnot, is for God's glory and is not to be taken for themselves. God is so specific, so clear here. This is part of the city, 
and others being devoted to destruction. God is making it clear that to be against him, to disobey him, is to be devoted to destruction. That for his glory and his honor, something that turns away from him cannot be allowed to remain. And it must be dealt with, including Israel. God has already shown that those who follow him in his grace are to be spared. We've seen that with Rahab and we'll see that again and again. This morning, again, a beautiful example, a picture of that. The grace that God has shown to so many who don't deserve it. This is not just going to be random killing and destruction, but purifying. Straight away in chapter 7, verse 1, the first Seven words of our text this morning are hard to read. They're a tough opening. But the people of Israel broke faith. But the people of Israel broke faith. Straight away, a guy called Achan is thrown under the bus and he is guilty. This causes, and we read, the anger of the Lord to burn against the people of Israel. Clearly, Not something anyone wants, right? This is not what we want. The anger of the Lord burning against the people. This was a terrifying position. It was all going so well. This opening verse summarizes all that's about to come. Chapter 7 carries on. Joshua has a plan to take over the city of Ai. And so he sends spies and decides to send a group of soldiers. And sadly, within six Verses, that's all we're given. We see the total reversal of Israel's fortunes up until this point. We have seen promises of victory from God, and now we have none. We've seen religious purity and covenant, and now we see it's broken. We've seen a united people, and now we see they're fragmented. All of this results in Israel becoming like every other nation, their hearts, and it says, melted and became like water. These are meant to be chapters of military conquest and victory, but instead they begin with a people that have rebelled and turned from God so quickly. Led that way perhaps by Joshua and experiencing the effects of sin in their midst. Even just the sin of one man. The first six chapters of Joshua, we see that everything Joshua does is with the word of God going first and then Joshua doing so. There is a notable absence here, I think. You see, when you notice it, you can't avoid it. There is an absence of God speaking. An absence of Joshua speaking to God. We just read that Joshua had a plan and he effectively goes ahead with it. He does what he likes and what he thinks is best. What he is doing is not wrong in itself. It's just not what God wants. There's a huge difference. How often does this happen in our lives? How often have you gone ahead with something, something that was not inherently sinful, just not a great decision? Really, truly, you knew that. You did it anyway. Be honest with yourself. Perhaps it was dating someone that you really knew was not a good fit. Perhaps it was that move you planned or are planning to another city or country and you're leaving behind a church where you're really 
growing just because other people thought it was a good idea. Maybe it's changing jobs. Maybe just because they're paying you just a little bit more. But really, you should have stayed where you were. It was a great job. Maybe it's not speaking into the life of a brother or sister you care about because, you know what? It's just easier not to. Maybe it's letting that discipling relationship go and disappear because I really can't be bothered getting up that early. It's just not that convenient. Hope you see that none of these are sinful, but you know, as you look back, that they were not right. Whatever it is in your life, we think we know better. Joshua here, I think, thinks that he knows the score and what he can do at this point for a military victory. He knows what is needed. We all think we know better than God. We do. It's why we don't pray regularly for this reason. It's why you didn't read your Bible that much this week. You think you know better. I think I know better. You see, this should have been easy. AI was a small place with not even that many people. Even the spies could see that. But they did not do this with God. They did not bring their plan to him and ask for his help or trust in his word. How often, friends, do we do the same? We do as we please. We think we know better. God has given us his word and then right now he has placed you here. He's given you the church that you have, the friends that you have. Right now he's given you the person who's discipling you or that you're discipling. He's given you the pastors that you have right now. All of these things are here for you to do life with, to go through life in obedience to him as he wants you to, avoiding life simply as we think, doing what is best. What God thinks and says and has told us is important. I hope that this is not news to you this morning. What God says is important. Bible, this Bible we have is full of verses about your life, your job, your marriage, your finances, how you use your time, how we're to worship Him here each week, just to name a few. And these things are all for His glory, not your glory. Your life is for His glory, not your glory. We're to lift up His name and not our name. It's what we see going terribly wrong here in chapter 7. It's already happened with Achan, and we see how he stole a lot of gold and silver in Jericho. And then he hid it under the floor, buried a hole in his tent. The same happens with Joshua in his leadership. This sin affects the whole community. This affects the whole people, and it's the same here for us today. This is why we care who is in and out of our community. We care about who we are together. How we are to live together for the glory of God. We meet here every week to sit under God's word and remind each other of how great God is and how he is worthy of our praise. Friends, we're not meant to do these things alone. You must agree to that to some extent. You are here and not sat at home 
online or on your sofa, on your own. You've gathered here with God's people. This is why we have, importantly, membership meetings like last week. God has told us that we're to meet together to decide who is in this community as a congregation. We're to exercise the keys of the kingdom together, to care about our gospel witness in this city as a body, and then to care for and pray for those who are struggling. And not individuals here today. I hope you don't leave here feeling like an individual. All affected in our body, if one part of the body is not well or is sick or needs extra help, it affects, it should affect all of us should affect the whole body, the whole community. If you look at chapter 7, we see the battle is lost and Joshua initially tries to blame God, but God speaks and makes it clear that the people have sinned and after he called them to consecrate themselves, to be a clean people that are set apart to follow his commands. What we see here is that God has not and will not break his covenant. The people have done this through Achan's sin. God is clear that Achan, for his sin against God and God's people, will be destroyed. It's here that we begin to see just a glimpse at the holiness of God and what that really means. Friends, what Achan saw as valuable in a moment has cost him his life in eternity. What he saw as valuable in a moment, has cost him his life in eternity. Don't make the same mistake. Don't put your hope and trust in things of this world for they will cost you your whole life. It might be a relationship. Perhaps for you it's an object. Maybe it's really stealing from somewhere. Maybe it's taking something that's not yours or maybe it's enjoying something you're not meant to. We're to be a consecrated people. That means a people set apart from the world. We're a people made holy by God and what Christ has done as we heard in our reading today. And we have seen this in our opening chapter. Friends, God cares. God cares what we do. God cares what we say. God cares how we live our lives. Read on and we see that God's commands were clear before and So were the consequences. Same goes for what is now commanded. Achan is to be stoned by the whole community. He wronged the whole community. The whole community has been defiled. And so the whole community now stones him. And he is buried beneath stones as a memorial. A reminder of Israel's capacity to sin and be unfaithful. The people must not forget this important lesson and this is the same for us friends as we hear from time to time sadly soberly have to exercise church discipline thankfully we're not stoning people these piles of stones outside are not memorials but these difficult and solemn occasions are a reminder to us they're a reminder of how sin destroys and corrupts as a warning to us of what rebellion against God looks like and how it's only in this life that God gives us the opportunity to repent and follow him. 
Achan's Sid was hidden from those in his family and in his community, but God saw it all. Just let that sink in for a second. God saw it all. Pause and think about the hidden sin in your own life. Repent of it before God. He sees it all. Chapter 8 sees the people back on track as we continue. They've begun to obey God once more. And verse 1 again confirms and clarifies this for them. And for us it says, I have given into your hand. What joy it must have been to, to hear those words. God was clear that they had sinned and they had transgressed his covenant. But now God would demonstrate as he had before and as he will do again that he is faithful and that even the small things are only possible with him. Great detail and time is placed here on the capture of Ai and then on its destruction as per God's word. It's here we turn to our second point. Do what God says. Do what God says. Point number two. We've seen the results of do what you want. And now we see the great glory and joy of doing what God says. And the difference that makes only because of who he is. Chapter 8 verse 8 shows us how all of this, the Lord says to Joshua, you shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. What a difference. And this is what happens as we've seen before. We're now seeing again. Joshua moves the men and the people exactly as God has commanded, taking the amount of men described, taking them where God says. See, it's stated at the beginning of the chapter and is then shown word for word and step by step throughout. We're meant to see clearly. We're meant to recognize his obedience. It's only through God's arm. Joshua is doing all that God has said word for word. And friends, this is crucial. In this first section, they're preparing. Joshua is passing on the same authority to his men that God has given to him as God has told Joshua. So Joshua is now commanding his men. This is the, the same verb. It's by doing what God has commanded that will make this victory sure. And it's the same in our lives. There is no other way to live than in obedience to God for our whole lives. Friends, perseverance to the end is the only sure mark of the Christian life. Perseverance to the end is the only sure mark of the Christian life. All other roads truly lead to death and destruction. This way we've been given is narrow. It's treacherous. But it is completely straight and true. And it's been given to us by God. And he helps us graciously walk along it with him. I know it's tempting to look to the left and to the right as we make our way through life, to be terrified about what's going on on either side. For some of us, it's catching a virus or passing on a virus to a loved one or a virus stopping us seeing our loved ones next week or next year. For others, it's maybe being canceled or fired in some way because of what you believe or what you say or who you worship or how you dress or what you read. For others, it's not knowing 
what the future will bring. We can be so swayed by the world, by the things around us, even good things. But we need to know how to respond to how God has called us to live. His word is so clear for us, friends. The only way to live and the only way to be saved is through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's no other savior, no other way to achieve this, especially not you yourself and your hard work. You can't do this. You can't achieve this on your own. That will not work. Come to Jesus. God has given you his word. Open it. Trust in Christ. Amazingly, through this passage, there are also references and echoes of the crossing of the Red Sea with Moses. And again, how all of these things, however great and small, all show that it's God who delivers and he who saves. Look with me at chapter 8, verse 18. Do that while listening to this from Exodus 14, verse 16. It says, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Joshua 8 verse 18 reads, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand towards Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. We're meant to hear these similarities here. We're meant to hear the use of the hand and an object that the Lord has commanded and how Moses and now Joshua as the Lord has spoken, are to receive what only God can provide, what only He can do, both providing deliverance and freedom, both helping the people of Israel to avoid destruction. Conclusion of chapter 8, if you look there, sounds ceremonial when you read it. And it's meant to. There's smoke rising from the city, sacrifices have been made and blood has been spilled. The devotion of Ai was complete as God had commanded and now it was time for the people to stop and for Joshua to lead them as a community before God. Joshua is about to fulfill the command of Moses and renew the covenant as mentioned in Deuteronomy 27, a book earlier, many years before. He does this word for word according to what Moses wrote. And the people are all there. This would have been a a strange, truly awesome sight up on Mount Ebal. Chanting, singing, shouting of blessings and curses, offerings being made, the law being recited, lines of priests and judges, the ark there right in the middle. This is an epic mountain Sight. We're given uh, in chapter 8 a, a kind of helicopter or drone view of this whole thing as it unfolds. Joshua at the center leading the people. The nearby city lies bloody and burning and here the whole people have marched up a hill and are giving thanks to God. Wow. If you sometimes, maybe even right now, feel that our sermons here are a little bit long... Or perhaps you find our music somewhat unusual. I'm not sure, but turning up to this thing on the top of Mount Ebal would have been next level. Just reading the entirety of the law, probably taking something like 15 hours realistically to complete. 
What is a wonderful detail here is that in verse 33, we see this is already a mixed crowd. There were some there who were not ethnic Jews. There were some there from other tribes that had come to follow God. This was, at this turning point, a people united. A people united under God's word, reading and singing aloud praises to the God they worship, the God of the universe, the one true God. This gathering on Ebal is a, a worship service that brings the people together and sees them make promises to God and to one another. Friends, as we pursue obedience together, there is no doubt God helps us, grants us victories at times over temptation, over sin, but not in the same way over enemies or sickness or over the things of this world. As Christians today, we're very much called to live and be in this world, but to know that both the rewards and the enemies we face are not of this world. We come up against difficulties and difficult people. But our true enemies are sin and death. Both of which have been defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the wonderful victory declaration for the Christian. For the person who has repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. This whole world has been affected by the sin of one man. Punishment then taken by one man. Friends, all of this sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and the only remedy for that is the man who left heaven to come, fully God and fully man, Jesus Christ, to take the punishment that we deserve. Christ Jesus had to come and die, rising again and beating sin and death, taking the punishment, taking all that you deserve, because you could not. Remind each other of that today, remind each other of that this afternoon, over lunch, or tomorrow while you have coffee with someone, or you're in the staff room. Let us not forget this glorious victory that Christ has already obtained for many sinners. This grace that each Christian has been shown. It's this grace that God gives and as important as we look at chapter 9, we see the Gibeonite deception. The grace of God is key here. The people of Gibeon, they heard what God had done in Jericho and then to Ai and they feared the God of the Bible. They had seen that he was the true God and so they set about deceiving Joshua and the Israelites so that they would be spared, so that they would live. But it was more than this. So this, that would have really just described every tribe and town in the region. They all wanted to live. But what we saw with Rahab and her family, we see here again, is the grace of God towards those that are far off, who turn to him and acknowledge who he is and are brought in. We're dealing with the one and only, the only true God here, the God of the Old and the New Testament, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Moses, and the whole people of Gibeon recognize him for who he was. And so in chapter 9, they're saved. There's no other 
reason for this. They confess a fear of God and in his mercy, despite all else that had been promised or said regarding the protection of God's glory and God's people, the Gibeon people are now included in this. An oath is made. We see this is serious. This is unbreakable. Remember Jacob and Esau, we see another oath that would be kept despite how it was obtained. This oath here has real consequences, consequences that Saul will see in 2 Samuel when he kills the Gibeonites in violation of this oath right here in chapter 9. God brings a famine on the whole land. It was this type of worry and situation that the Israelite leaders worried about happening and wanted to avoid here. The Lord allows this to happen for the Israelites to be deceived here. The Gibeonites were a shrewd people, a lowly people that eventually would be woodcutters and drawers of water. What is amazing is how they're brought in unexpectedly, undeserved, simply because of their faith. And they find themselves with a secure place. Verse 23 in chapter 9 says, in the house of God. How amazing it was, how wonderful when we consider the alternative to be woodcutters or water drawers in the house of God. Friends, do you know, do you remember, do you understand that it's the same for us, brothers and sisters? It's the same for each of us. Only by the grace of God have you been brought in. Only by the pleasure of the king. It's the same for us. If you're attending here this morning and you're not a Christian, then this same invitation is extended to you. This is not, well, not yet a closed group. As we live and we breathe and we do life here in Ras al-Khaimah, there is still time to respond. God holds out to you this morning, if you're hearing this, this free gift of grace this morning. You too, maybe even for the first time, can be welcomed into the people of God by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. As we turn to the final three chapters, we see the Israelites' southern conquest. After the defeat of Jericho and Ai, and now with the Gibeonites on side, many more kingdoms just stand lined up before them. In chapter 10, we see the last significant description of a battle. And from now on, really, it's just summaries of what God has done. In 9, 10, and 11, we just have kings coming out against Israel after they've heard what has been going on. Of course, the ripples have been going out across the lands. Who is this Yahweh? Who are these people? Do you hear about Jordan? Did you see what happened to Jericho? Did you see Ai burning the other day? That was them. That was their God. I've said it already, but we see it over and over again. As the major theme in this whole book, God is with Joshua and the people of Israel. He in his majesty, is fighting with and for the people of Israel. Chapter 10, verse 42 concludes with, And Joshua captured all these kings and their lands at one time 
because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. We have to see God keeping his promises and how he alone is faithful when others falter, even Israel herself. The victory is sure as God is with them. Chapters 10 and 11 both show us battles where there are kings that gather, God helps, a battle is waged against armies led by one particular enemy, and that victory is won by God's hand. I think what clearly, if you look there, sticks out in chapter 10, especially is the fact that the sun stands still. The sun stands still. Look there with me in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun, stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Wonderfully for us and I think unhelpfully for anyone else is the fact that this is quickly followed up with verse 14, which says, There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. I say helpfully because I think this verse clarifies so much. It tells us that God heard Joshua's prayer and responded, the Lord fought for Israel and there can be no doubt that this was unusual and nothing else like it has occurred. It was not just an eclipse or some strange feeling or a trick of light. Some incredible things going on here and we just get a couple of minutes to dwell on them before we close. This all leads to a victory in battle but what is more incredible than the earth standing still, and I do think that's what happened, I, that the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth created and then stopped the earth from spinning for about a day. Nothing else like this has happened in history. But that he did this after Joshua spoke to him. The Red Sea, the River Jordan, those were all God's announcements. We heard one of them earlier when God says, stretch out your hand. But here we read, Joshua spoke to the Lord. And then I think what we're reading are God's words that he spoke to the sun and the moon. That is God speaking. The passage seems certain that the sun did stop. We don't receive any more on how or the exact way it happened. But amazingly, we see that God chose to hear and listen to the request of Joshua. Again, this is completely extraordinary. He is the God's chosen leader of his people, but did God have to listen to Joshua's request? No, not at all. Of course not. But he did. But he did. God listened. This is absolutely wild. This is incredible. For what? For the victory. It was for his people. It was for their good and their benefit. But more than that, it was for his glory. 
We see that we see here that God does something extraordinary for the security and the fight for his people. We see a glimpse here of the lengths that God will go to to save his people, to protect them, to, to guide them, to provide for them, to save them. That he alone gets the glory, no one else. Realize that what Joshua prayed is not even recorded here. It's not left for us like other religions would probably really, really like. How many people would have that special request of Joshua on their wall at home or on a tattoo if there was some sort of magic prayer or incantation that you could make that would cause God to cause the earth to stop? Can you imagine? No, what Joshua said wasn't important. It was who he said it to. That's what's important. He came before God and sought help in battle. He knew what God had promised And he knows that God keeps his promises. Chapter 12 concludes with a sober summary. Verse 24, the final mic drop moment in this section. Just says, in all 31 kings, God has given every one. To Moses and now to Joshua, he has delivered 31 kings into their hands. The Israelites had taken possession, says, according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses. Their victory, secure. Their inheritance, secure. Friends, this is the main point of this passage. God's victory is sure, no matter who is on the throne, he is worthy to be praised. He alone can rescue. Trust him. Trust what he has said. Trust his promises. He will not let you down. As I think back to being in that basement at the beginning, surrounded by all those animals, what was behind me in the basement was the final shock. There, fully displayed, fully frozen, reaching out and catching a fish in its paw, just as someone had hit the pause button, was a fully sized brown bear. In all its power and all its majesty, this was not enough for it to overcome. It was dead, it was gone. It was the king of its domain, feared by all, but now frozen, stuffed in a basement in Kentucky. Friends, it's the same for us, and it's the same for all who don't follow Jesus Christ. Every ruler and every boss you can think of who hold real and tangible power in your day-to-day, and they really do. All of those and all of this is nothing compared to God and who he is in his mercy and in his justice. This is what he pours out in equal measure, fully right and perfect in every decision and beyond our understanding. No matter who or what has dominion over your life, there must be no doubt that all of this is in God's sovereignty and in his power. Your situation may be difficult, but know that God is with you. He is guarding your steps. He is holding you in his hand. He is faithful. 
you will be delivered. Your enemies will all fade away and your ultimate enemies, sin and death, have been defeated and dismissed at the cross through Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian here today, then I take great joy in reminding you, your victory secure, your inheritance secure.